Hello. How's everyone doing today? You guys have me today because Pastor Mike and family are, are on their family vacation. So I'll be leading us in our Bible study today and next Tuesday as well. And I also have the privilege of preaching this Sunday. So, so Pastor Mike needs to come home. <laughs> but it's such a joy to see you guys here today. Well, should we be a people of pray, prayer and pray together? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for the joys and celebrations in our life. It's a reminder that we have been given this amazing gift through your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray during times of sorrow, during times of illness and those that are suffering, it's a reminder that we are your people and that we can lean in to you during these times for comfort and for healing. Lord, thank you for this time of fellowship and study, to come together and study your word and hopefully learn new insights that we can apply for our lives, Lord. Help us to be good neighbors, caring and loving, and help us to imitate Christ's love in all that we do. Lord, I just pray for your spirit to fill this space and to continue to guide and teach us. In your son Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing our study of the Gospel of John this week. We are in John chapter 16. If you are joining us from home online today, I'd just like to welcome you as well. I hope that you receive a blessing in our Bible study today. So we need a volunteer that would be willing to read verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. Do we have a volunteer? All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. So this is a continuation, really, of John 15. Uh, this is Jesus's final teachings with his disciples. And he's continuing on sharing with them that these things I have spoken with you, that you should not stumble. They will put you out in the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. This is a warning um, to help prepare his disciples for the time that is coming. Um, they will put you out of the synagogues, Jesus warned. His disciples, um, he warned his disciples of coming opposition because he did not want them to be surprised. He did not want them to be caught off guard and just um, surprised by, by them. 
He did not expect that his disciples would immediately leave the synagogues or leave them by their own choice. They would be forced out of the synagogues for Jesus' sake. I think what Jesus is saying here is that what has happened to me as followers of me, as my disciples, I have been preparing you for the way these last three years. They had traveled together. They lived together. They had those experiences together. They witnessed the life and ministry of Jesus firsthand. Jesus knew that the end was coming. He knew that his earthly time was drawing near to an end. He knew that he had limited time left to continue to teach his disciples and prepare them for what was to come. And he knew what was coming. Jesus started in the synagogues. He was driven out from the synagogues. And we see in his ministry, oftentimes it was to to the lakeshore where he would gather around with common people and share his wise teachings and his ministry. And through his ministry, he gained popularity, he gained more followers, but he also made enemies. And he is warning his disciples here that those enemies that I have made, they too will be your enemy. They too may persecute you. You too may experience the rejection that I have experienced. They will believe that they are doing God's work because they do not fully understand that God sent Jesus for these good purposes, for his good purpose and for his glory. They did not see God through Jesus. And because of that, uh, they rejected him. So these things I have told you that when the time comes, you remember that I told them of you. So when the tough times are coming, I want you to think back on this. I want you to think back on the time that we had together. I want you to think back that this was coming just so that you would be prepared for those difficult times. Are there any comments or questions about these first four verses of Jesus's warnings of certain persecution that were to come? The word that was used for stumble kind of translated into things that could happen when you're least expecting it. He didn't want his disciples to be caught off guard. So he was taking these last final hours, really, to help prepare because he knew that these things were coming. All right, we'll continue on in our scripture today. Please read verses 5 through 7. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So they just heard this news that persecution was coming, that the heat and the pressure the rejection that Jesus has experienced in his life and ministry, they too can now expect this. 
And now Jesus starts talking about the advantage of this. He explains the benefits of this departure. Do you think they fully understood what Jesus was saying? Any thoughts about that? This doesn't sound like the good news. If, you're, if your leader and your mentor tells you that they will be leaving soon and that when they leave and in their departure, then you're going to experience this persecution, it doesn't sound like he's leading up to there being a benefit of this. So I imagine that it was a little confusing. Like, what do you mean there's an advantage to your departure? What do you mean there's an advantage to the things that are to come? It is your advantage that I go away. This had to be difficult for the disciples to believe. Certainly when a loved one is near death, perhaps we think, that it's best that they go on to heaven because we don't want to see them suffer. But we usually don't think of it as an advantage. Our hearts ache. We miss them. There's a hole in our lives that, that will never quite be filled because love, love fills our hearts and it leaves a mark. And it transforms us. So I imagined that it was difficult for them to believe that there was an advantage in the things that were to come. I doubt that they understood exactly what was to come. But if we know through scripture that Jesus would be arrested, what is the advantage in that? What is the advantage in Jesus being mocked? What is the advantage of Jesus being sentenced for execution? What is the advantage for the crucifixion? Jesus knows all these things are coming. He also knows that his beloved disciples will face a similar fate. And yet he holds on to this hope this advantage, this blessing that is coming. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. You see, Jesus had a plan. God had a plan. God continues to have a plan. Sometimes we're, we are in the midst of darkness and troubles and struggles, and it's hard to see the light Perhaps the message in this passage is that God will reveal a way and that God is closer than we even realize. You see, Jesus is speaking of the coming of the Spirit. The helper that he speaks of is the Spirit of God, which would have an even broader and effective ministry in the world that the disciples would receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, and this would prepare and equip them for their own ministries as they carried on what Jesus had started. I will send him to you, 
Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to his disciples when he departed. This is what would make it to their advantage, that he would depart from them. It's in this promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus meant that the presence and work of the Holy Spirit would actually be better for believers than the physical bodily presence of Jesus. Why is that? Any ideas? There may be a clue in Matthew 18.20. Would someone be willing to look up 18, Matthew 18.20 and share that with the, with the group? Matthew 18.20. For there, oh, I've got it underlined here. For where two or three gather together because they are mine, I will be right there among them. Thank you. Do you hear the promise in that? For where there are two or three gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. This was the promise. And this is what was made true in Jesus' departure. Because the Spirit would work through them, then they would have an overwhelming sense of Jesus' work in the world. His bodily presence may not be there, but Christians would be overjoyed because they would be gifted with the Holy Spirit. And truly, this was an advantage for them to continue on with what Jesus had started. Our next verses are verses 8 through 11. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin, because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So now Jesus starts talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. In this section, um, in John 16, he begins with these are my final teachings. He talks about his departure. He talks about the struggles and persecution they will face. But he says that there's a silver lining in this and that they will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you see, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit allows the work of the Holy Spirit now to continue in the world. And how would the work of the Holy Spirit continue in the world? So the advantage is I, I have to depart, but my Holy Spirit is coming. And then this Holy Spirit will allow then to continue the work that I've started. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more of judgment because of the rule, ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit will convict it. Have you ever heard anyone use that kind of language. Oh, I was convicted. The Holy Spirit convicted me. There was some, the Holy Spirit laid something on my heart. The Holy Spirit moved me. Have you heard that kind of language before? Have you ever had an experience like that where you feel like the Holy Spirit was moving you towards something? The word convict, what comes to mind? in our current world. Convict? 
guilty. Jail. You think of conviction. What happens like in the courtroom. It's a legal process. There's a broader sense to that definition as well. Yeah, judgment. Another word that can be used is convince. Like if you've been convicted of, like the spirit lays something on your heart and you've been convicted, your heart has been convicted. It's, a, it's being convinced of perhaps an individual is going along a path that's not the best for them. Then the spirit convicts them and what is that word that we, we like to talk about uh, where you're going one way, you're, you're doing the wrong thing, but then you start doing the right thing? What is it? Repent. Repent. What is that saying? Stop thing, start doing the right thing. So when the Holy Spirit is working through you or through an individual, and their heart has been convicted of something, perhaps in their own life. Perhaps the work of the Holy Spirit is to soften our hearts and to then speak to us where we're like, oh, maybe this isn't the right path that I should be living, how I'm living my life. And then they turn and they go the other way towards God. Does that make sense? So this is the work of the Holy Spirit in this world, is that in the individual's heart to convince and convict them of truths. That perhaps if we're going down a path that is not uh, a path intended for us, the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts so that we will turn and repent and then lean into and listen and live in response to the Holy Spirit. I will send him to, oh, Linda, sorry. I know there's a microphone right here somewhere. Here it is. One of the things that amaze me when I read the um, New Testament, Christ was so much before his time, and people did not understand. They had never met anyone like him. You tell us you're going to leave, but you're going to come back. You tell us you're going to leave again, and you're going to come back. They truly did not comprehend what he was saying. Um, their lives were mostly within their communities. Some of them may go from maybe one town to another, but they were not well-traveled, and they were oppressed. And so when I look at these people... They, um, they wanted to believe a lot of them, but they had a hard time believing because it was just beyond their grasp because it was so different than anything they had ever known. And I think perhaps that's still true today, that we're still learning and trying to grasp these truths that Jesus shared in his ministry and how to apply them to our lives. Linda, you're right about people and the sense of loss that they were, I'm sure, starting to experience and had experienced. 
The very thought of being driven out of the synagogues must have been absolutely heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. The synagogue was the center of their community. Jesus was basically saying, you're going to be exiled. You're not going to be welcome anymore. The friends, those relationships, those people that have mattered so much to you in your life, they had already started to break away from that by following Jesus. And Jesus is saying it's only going to get worse. This path that you have chosen is not an easy path. But there is an advantage to it. And the advantage is that I will be with you. I will be with you through sending of the Holy Spirit, which then you can carry on the work that we have started. I will send him to you. Jesus promised to send his Holy Spirit to the disciples when he departed, and this is what would make it to their advantage that he departed from them. Jesus meant that the presence of the work of the Holy Spirit would actually be better for believers than the physical bodily presence of Jesus. To sum up, they'd be able to reach more people. And the gospel, the good news, would be spread until the ends of the earth. So for 2,000 years, this message has been shared and spread. Any more ideas about this conviction, this word conviction, and how the Holy Spirit lays that on our hearts? You know that uh, for centuries, the people had been told by the prophets um, that the Messiah was coming, that he is coming. And um, the people have always ignored the prophets. Uh, history is repeating itself because uh, Judah was taken to um, Babylonia, and, or Babylon rather, and um, they should have learned from that. Uh, but they didn't. Now they're under Roman control, which is not quite as bad as being taken to Babylon, but it's still, they're captive. And the prophets for, for centuries had told them and continued to tell them. And now um, Moses brought them back. I mean, God gave Moses that, that charter, you know, bring the people back and they aren't listening and I won't say that the priests were um, evil or anything like that but they had their own things going for them and uh, we can look uh, again at history repeating itself so uh, you know I, I think God's timing was perfect because God's timing is perfect and we can't uh, fail to see that, or we can fail to see that, I guess. Yeah. So now we're going to read on in the scripture, the work of the Holy Spirit among the disciples. This is verses 12 through 15. Verses 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the Spirit, 
spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will be making known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. But when this, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. This particular section reminds me of a Bible verse that we studied several weeks back from John. And it's John chapter 4, verse 24. Would someone be willing to look that up? John chapter 4, verse, verse 24. Okay. Jesus replied, The time is coming, ma'am, when we will no longer be concerned about whether to worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. For it's not where we worship that counts, but how we worship. Is our worship spiritual and real? Do we have the Holy Spirit's help? For God is spirit, and we must have his help to worship as we should. The Father wants this kind of worship from us. But you Samaritans know so little about him, worshiping worshiping blindly, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes to the world through the Jews." It's this piece in there that says that God is spirit and as worshipers worship in spirit and truth. So God is spirit. And I hear that word truth in there as well. So when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The work of the Holy Spirit among the disciples is part of that. A piece of that is understanding that the Holy Spirit will work through them and will guide them. That they will guide them in their their new day in which they would no longer have this visible example and counsel of, of Jesus, of their master, They would be able to take what Jesus had taught them, what he had led them, how he, how he guided them. And now then the Holy Spirit would speak to them. And it goes back into that idea that God is spirit. In the Old Testament, quite often God feels so very far away. In the New Testament through Jesus, It's almost like God now is closer, that we learn through Jesus's example that we can actually speak to God and have that relationship. And it's this Holy Spirit that's kind of a mediator between the two. So Jesus is departing. The advantage is that they would be receiving the Holy Spirit to do the work, to continue the work that Jesus had started. And because God is spirit, and truth, there really can be no limits. Can you contain a spirit in a synagogue? 
Can you contain the spirit in the FLC, in our sanctuary, in our homes, in any kind of building? Is that possible? God is spirit, and the worshipers are to worship God in spirit and in truth. It calls us into relationship. I don't know if you see that. But this is calling us into relationship. They had that close tie in relationship with Jesus. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, you know, God isn't so far away. God is close. And we can experience God in spirit. We can experience the Holy Spirit now in our daily lives, where we can lean in and listen and understand that the Holy Spirit will guide us in truth and will lead us towards the righteous path. I don't know how it works. I don't fully understand it. But I can say that as I've grown in my own faith journey, in my own spiritual walk, as I've, I've learned through study, through meditation, through prayer, through fellowship, through those different spiritual disciplines, that indeed I have been transformed. And one cannot argue a transformed life. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And then that guides us and pushes us and nudges us towards bringing others into that same light. So Jesus prepares his disciples for a coming challenge on the cross. Uh, this is now verses 16 through 18. Do I have a volunteer that would be willing to read that? Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while, you will see me no more? And then, after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a, a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. I'm just curious. Does that make any sense? When you read that, you hear, um, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after some time you will see me. What does he mean by this? I think I would be in that situation <laughs> so very confused and not understanding. We have kind of an advantage in that it's 2,000 years later, and there's been a lot of scholars over the years that have studied this and have shared their insights and their wisdom so that we can kind of look back with that view to make sense of it. But at that time, I imagine the disciples were utterly confused and not fully grasping all the things that were to come. The disciples didn't understand that the rest of Jesus was only an hour or two away and that his crucifixion would follow. Yet because he must go to the Father, they would see him again as he rose from the dead. So I believe as we read these words, you will see me no more. He's speaking about his rest 
and how he would be taken away and how he would be crucified. And then after a little while, you will see me again. What is he referring to there? Yeah, his resurrection. Yeah. He's sharing all of these things with his disciples so that they can be prepared for what is to come. And I believe he was referring to his arrest, his crucifixion, and then his resurrection. We're just plugging right through. (laughs) Uh, We're at verses 19 through 22. 19 through 22. Jesus saw that they had wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while, You will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? Very truly I say unto you, You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A young woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but you will see again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Thank you. So in these final teachings, Jesus has shared with his his disciples that He would be departing and that they would have struggles, but there would be an advantage and that they would receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be able to continue on in this ministry. And he explains that there will be a tremendous amount of sorrow and pain, but that sorrow will be turned into joy. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus knew that they would be plunged into a deep and dark sorrow in the next few hours. He also knew that God would, by his power and his grace, turn their sorrow into joy. I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. You know, they didn't fully understand the separation, so they could not fully understand the joy of the coming reunion. And isn't there always joy in a coming reunion? Something to look forward to? To be able to see your loved ones and your friends again? Have you ever had that experience? Is there something that you look forward to? Being able to see one another again. There's a promise of joy. And as Christians today, that is what we live, we should learn and try to live into this joy that is offered to us through Christ. Because being a Christian is the way of love. And the way of love doesn't promise an easy path. But it is a way towards joy. And that God can turn our sorrows into joy. There is in Philippians chapter 2, and I'm actually going to pull it up. There's a hymn. It's called Christ's Hymn, and it's uh, Philippians chapter 2. Are you familiar with Philippians chapter 2? 
I know you will be when I start reading it. It begins with imitating Christ's humility. It begins with, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with the Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, and any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, if you go down and read further, there is a part of the scripture that is called the Christ hymn. This probably would have been sung, and Paul includes this within his letter. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah, um, Paul talked about making his joy complete. So when I was reading this this week as I prepared for our Bible study and I was thinking about the nature of joy, I was reminded me, It reminded me of Philippians 2 about making joy, his joy complete by being like-minded in mind and in spirit. Yeah, and initially, like, when this was first written, first century Christians, this likely would have been sung as well. And that would help them remember the words. Uh, Isn't it true, like, when we sing a song, maybe if we read a section of a book, we don't necessarily have the power of the brain to memorize the words. But if you put it to song, if you create lyrics and you put it to music, sometimes it's easier to remember the song. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a part that they would sing. And and so Paul talked about this joy. And um, it kind of sums up, I think, what Jesus is saying here. It repeats that same message of how... um, how God sent his son and that there is joy in this, in knowing this. Um, That even in times of grief, they would be rejoicing and take away, um, their their grief would be taken away and that they would find, find joy in him. Yeah, I believe Jesus was saying you can go to God because he loves you. That, that idea that God is so far away is now, now there's a new understanding of God through Jesus, that God is actually closer. Um, that Jesus was sent to the world because God loves us, loves the world. I think we, I've, I've like lost place, I have to be honest with you. I think we're going towards the end. So can someone just finish up that very last section and we will finish up this section? In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Verily, truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. 
Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I have believed that I have come from God. I come from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have, some, have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Up until this point, they had not asked for things through Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you can ask, you can go to the Father, God the Father, and ask. You can pray directly to God in my name, is what he's saying. And he goes on to say, that my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. In other words, God, through the Holy Spirit, will equip you with what you need for this ongoing journey and this mission that you are being called into. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. So Jesus now is going to share with them qualities about God the Father. The Father loves you. To me, like I circle that, that's the most important message in this section. That you can, through Jesus' name, now pray to God the Father and God will equip you for God's good purpose. Remember Pastor Mike was doing Bible study and he was saying, well, does this mean you can just pray for anything you want? Like, oh, I'd like a new bicycle or a new car or no. It means that if it be God's will, if this is for the glory of God, if this is to equip you for this ministry, because we're all called into ministry in our lives. Did you know that? You are called into ministry in how you live your life. Yes, Terry. James 4, 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss 
that you may spend it on your pleasures. How often do we pray for things that don't have anything to do with our immediate needs? Jesus walked this earth and never prayed for a per person's conveniences. You'll be scattered. You know, Jesus did not doubt that the belief of his disciples, but warned them that their faith would be shaken. He knew that there would be a time that they would scatter. If you're familiar with the story, is that true? Did the disciples scatter? Were they afraid? Was there an opportunity for redemption? And was Jesus still with them? Jesus knew that there would be a time that their faith would be shaken. But Jesus was never alone. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. That came true. When you leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. And that is true. So even, I think perhaps there's a message here that could be a sermon. <laughs> that even if you feel that those in your life have scattered, that are no longer there for you during different times or seasons of your life, it's a reminder that God is near and that God continues to be with us. And that Jesus came so that we may know God's joy and we may be left with this feeling of peace. Um, Jesus sure had his share of troubles and struggles and persecutions. And yet, if we are to imitate his life as best as we can, uh, we can see that God turned to God, I mean, Jesus turned to God the Father during those times. And that he indeed did overcome the world. Well, may God continue to bless you. And um, just listen, lean into, and live in response to the Holy Spirit that is gifted to us. Many blessings to you. And next week, we will continue on in our Bible study of chapter 17.